one of the things I try and teach my kids and I try and teach everybody is to do what I call make the advance. And making the advance can mean just ask the next question because I don't think that luck happens. I think you create luck. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Tina Sharkey to the couch. Tina is a serial entrepreneur and an investor, and she spent her career building communities online, working for major companies like AOL and Johnson & Johnson. In 2015, she left to start Brandless with her co-founder, and since then, they've been working to build direct relationships between suppliers and customers. We are so excited about Brandless. We're going to let Tina get into that soon. Tina. We have known you for such a long time. You have been such a great supporter of the skim, um, an investor in the skim, and we are so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the couch. Thank you. Uh, For just for the record, for those who don't see, they are on the couch and I'm in a chair, but I'm okay with (laughs) that. It's actually, it's good that no one can see because we both look really tired today. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So let's start. Uh, We're going to ease into it. Tina, skim your resume for us. Well, let's see. Um, I'll go forward to backwards. Um, So right now, I am the chairman um, and co-founder of Brandless. Um, And before that, I was a venture partner um, at Sherpa and started something called Sherpa Foundry. And before that, I was the global president and chairperson of Baby Center, which is a, a division of Johnson & Johnson, the largest platform for new and expecting moms around the world. Um, And before that, um, I was at AOL running networks and community and uh, messaging and platforms. Uh, Before that, Sesame Street. Yes. Sunny day. I love Um, it. Yes. I worked for Big Bird. I know. It was so cool. And and before that, I co-founded a company called iVillage, um, which was the, at the time, it was the largest community for women online. Um, And we took it public and then sold it to NBC. Um, And before that, I was at um, QVC started when Barry Diller was running QVC. They started a new network called Q2. And um, so we built that in New York. Um, And so it was online shopping, um, but for a new generation who didn't think online shopping was for them. Um, And so there's a theme there. Uh, So building things for people um, to connect them to their passions and their interests and to other people um, like them. I'm curious, when you go through your resume, what is something, if we looked at your LinkedIn, that would not be on your LinkedIn? I don't think that, like, the thread, like, you know, you can never reverse engineer your resume because that's not, I wasn't intentional about it. I was just trying to follow my passions and go to places where I thought I could have an outsized impact. Um, And so, but if I was to see my LinkedIn, I'd say building communities with soul. It doesn't reflect that, but that's been a filter for everything that I've done. I love that phrase. So obviously, as we just heard, your resume is just a laundry list of incredible companies and positions. Uh, you are incredibly tenacious, and we were re- doing research for, for this interview, which is always kind of fun to do research for someone you know personally and you think you know. But there was something that we didn't know, which is I love this story. At 11 years old, you wanted to be a model, and you convinced someone at Bloomingdale's to let you do just that. 
Can you please tell us this story? Oh, totally. So, um, well, first, it's it's worth noting that I'm a third generation. Um, my my parents and my grandparents were in the fashion business, so I always loved fashion, and I still do. Um, and so, uh, my mom and I were shopping on a Saturday, and I was very tall for my age, and so like you know, I was seeing above you know all the boys. And so, what was I going to do with that height at that time? And so, um, my mom and I went to Bloomingdale's, and we had a thing where she said, "You know, I'll meet you in an hour," because I like wanted to shop alone. Um, and so, I snuck away. I went to the fifth floor uh, where the executive offices were, and I asked to apply for a job um, to be a model. And I met this woman, Kathy. Um, I think it was Kathy Rigdon. I have to. Like, Did your look it wait? Up. Like, I want to just like break this up for a second. Did your mom know that? No, you, okay. she knew I was meeting her back in an hour. And did you? go into Bloomingdale's that day, I mean, like, I'm going to go try and get a job today. Well, I admit there were these, like, really cool women walking around, um, and they, like, every 15 minutes were in a different outfit, fully accessorized. <laughs> Don't you love, like, when yes. you see yes. photos in magazines, and it's like, the bag, the shoes, yes. the belt, and you're like, who does that? But these women were, like, doing it because clearly they were models. And so I said, you know, how do you, where do you get, how do you do this? And... Um, I went up and she said, oh, well, you know, there's an office on the fifth floor. So I just knocked on the door and the woman who was the boss was sitting there. She said, I can't believe I'm never here on a weekend. You know, you're lucky. You're very lucky. And then she said, sell me this pencil. And she handed me a pencil and I like sold her the pencil. What did you say? Well, I said, well, this is this fabulous pencil. Um, um, I said, you know, it's it's, it's pre-sharpened. It's a number two. Um, you might need this if you're taking, like, you know, a test. Um, it's very comfortable on the hand. Um, the color is very nice. I mean, I don't remember what I said, but, like, those are the things I might say. Um, and so she said, great. Um, go into the back and try this on because she wanted to see what my size mm -hmm. was. So, and I tried it on and like all the accessories were like on the table and I totally accessorized. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And I came back out and she said, you know, turn around and, you know, tell me this outfit, whatever. So I sold her the outfit and then she said, okay, well, what do you, what, when can you start? I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, I'm going to need to get your parental approval. I said, oh, we can handle that. I'll be right back. <laughs> and she said, um, excuse me, can you get back into your clothes? And I was like so <laughs> bummed because I was like looking so yeah. fabulous. I think I even had a beret on. It was going to be like the best. <laughs> but I put my clothes back on and then I marched my mom up there uh, to get approval uh, to get the job. I love this. So you mentioned your family was in fashion. Your mom was the president of Perry Ellis, uh -huh. which I also did not know until yes. you did research. Um, what I loved is that your mom let you go to meetings with her. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what that experience how that shaped you and how that, when you think about now, like you're a mom, like how did that shape also your parenting? So I was super fortunate um, because I went to Stuyvesant High School in New York City. And after school, um, I lived alone with my mom. I have two older sisters, but they were already out of the house. Um, and so I took the subway up to her office to do my homework. And she said, look, as soon as your homework's done, um, you can sit in any meeting um, as long as the person running the meeting is okay with it and only speak when spoken to. Um, and so I was like, I got it. So I was like very keen to get my homework all done. And there were certain people like I really wanted to be in their meetings because they were like the creative meetings. They were showing like the line and the trends. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and so um, that really shaped me because I never knew that like women didn't have a seat at the table. Like a lot of the leaders in my mom's team were women, um, the merchandisers, the designers. So a lot of the salespeople were women. So she had had this like community of people always. Um, and I never 
never dawned on me that it wasn't like that everywhere. Because so I just saw a strong woman who was my mom. I saw the people she worked with who were many women. Um, a lot of the people they met with were women because the fashion industry tends to over-index on that, especially on the creative side, whatever. And so it was only later that I realized, oh my God, we got to like get busy here. But um, really, I just sort of assumed that's the way it was. Did you do that with your... Kids. Oh, always. Yeah. I mean, well, the table for us is just like the kitchen table. So, you know, their dad and I are both entrepreneurs. Um, and so they hear about fundraising, they hear about hiring, they hear about pivots, they hear about all that stuff all the time. And so it's not even like, it's just in their vernacular. In fact, you know, when I was contemplating, uh, Ido Leffler, my co-founder, and I uh, were incubating Brandless, but neither of us had taken an operating role because we were just incubating it and we had other jobs. And so um, one day I came home for dinner and Jacob and Charlie were like, oh, share your day. And they were sharing their day. What'd you do? Oh, I interviewed a couple of CEOs today. They said, oh, for which companies? Um, because, you know, as an investor, I was interviewing for a lot of companies. I said, well, I met someone for Brandless. And literally it was like a fork drop uh, where Jacob was like, what? Why would you be interviewing someone for Brandless? That's like having someone else raise us. I was like, well, <laughs> you know, like you're, I'm on the head of the freshman PA for you, Charlie and Jacob, you're applying to college next year. And I really want to make sure I'm available. And they were like, okay, like, first of all, you're more engaged than most of the non-working moms we know. So stand down. Um, <laughs> number two, um, you can't do that. And then Jacob said, and this is when I knew that they'd spent a lot of time at the table. He said, look, just get it to a good top line, get some scale going and hire a global <laughs> operator. Oh my God. Um, and oh I was my like, God. Oh my gosh, I don't know whether to like thank you or to say like I'm so sorry. Like, like do I need to like start a therapy account for you? Wait, like that's for that later? is scary in the um, best way. It was I'm like, fantastic. what are they gonna be? Yeah, that's I want to hire them. Yeah. Um I think it's interesting when we're talking about scrappiness and growing up um with this model that you had. Do you think of scrappiness as a trait or as a skill? I think it's um it's a trait and a skill. And I think it can be learned, um, but I do think that it can be done in a way that's really elegant. Um, and so one of the things I try and teach my kids and I try and teach everybody is to do what I call make the advance. And making the advance can mean just ask the next question because I don't think that luck happens. I think you create luck. And one of the reasons that I've been advising you two extraordinary women is because you have this like in spades. You're not afraid to make the advance and it's not it's not pushy or anything. It's just like you ask the question. You you sort of say to somebody, oh, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Um, and you create luck that way because there's a door there. If anyone here is like a Harry Potter person, yes. which I am. So the room of requirements is waiting for you. Wow. You just have to like know that <laughs> Really just clicked for Danielle. Good job. Yes. I love that. <laughs> oh, that is great. Um, when you talk about mentoring people that are on your own teams, um, how do you encourage them to ask. So what I do with my teams is I don't believe that mentorship um, is as successful if you take it out of context. I think it's really, and I don't think there's some big offsite where you have some big like aha moment. I think mentorship are moments. And so what I like to think about with my team is that very close to an experience that I've witnessed um, to pull someone aside and say, hey, can I give you some feedback? Um, in that meeting where you said X, Y, Z, and so-and-so said X, Y, Z. 
Um, I think you might have approached that in a different way. And had you said this, or had you come prepared with that, we might have had a different outcome. Um, and no harm, no foul. Like you have an opportunity. Like I try not to pick things that are, oh my gosh, that's off a cliff and like you can't get it back. But we're an object lesson where you like know the situation, you know the dynamics, and you can give someone like spot feedback and spot coaching and get them back in or coaching them before something. Or the best is when I can model that behavior for them. What's the last really scrappy thing you showed your team you can do? Um, texting one of our um, celebrity investors who's become a friend and showing that I don't have to have all the information that um, I'm seeing her as a peer, which is like weird to think that I would think of Serena Williams as a peer. Um, but Different. she's, yeah, I know. Cause it's like, she's not yeah. actually a peer. Yeah. Um, she's a goat and I don't know what I am, but maybe I get to visit the farm now and again, but like, you know, <laughs> like all rise, but she's, I'm not a, like, I see her as like, she's a mom and she's a wife and she's an entrepreneur and she's an investor and she's the best freaking tennis player on the planet. So in that capacity, no. But in these other capacities, I can share something with her and I can be of service to her in the same way that she's of service to us. And so that's not something I'm afraid of because I don't, I like, I don't like when people put me on a pedestal um, and I don't like to put other people there because I think it creates distance. Um, and yet false um, familiarity is also inappropriate. So you like have to like find the right balance. We are on a 10 city tour right now, meeting lots of skimmers and talking to amazing moderators about how to skim your life. That's right. Our book is finally out and we cannot wait for you to read it. It covers all the most important parts of being an adult, like negotiating your salary, saving for retirement, and the most important thing, reading a wine list. It's the perfect gift for a recent grad or anyone who could use a crash course in adulting. It's the kind of book you're going to want to have on your coffee table so you can keep coming back to it. So what are you waiting for? Go get your copy at theskim.com slash book. That's theskim.com slash book. I want to switch gears a little bit. You are a serial entrepreneur, and I want to talk about your latest venture, Brandless. Give us the elevator pitch. What is Brandless? Oh, the elevator pitch. Well, um, Brandless is a um, an extraordinary community of uh, people who are making stuff that is better for you, better for your family, better for your home, and better for the world. Um, at much more accessible um, prices uh, to try and better life for all. How does that work? It's There's a lot of science to that art. It works first and foremost by bringing together amazing, talented, inter and multidisciplinary people with extraordinary experience in lots of different areas um, because it's not digital media. It is... Um, it's community building. It is content building. It is um, art direction and photography. It is product development and long roadmaps with you know vendors around the world. It is product safety, quality, and integrity. It is shipping and packing and, and all the rest. And it is getting boxes with perfect delivery to your door, which is our objective. What was the need you're trying to 
uh, to fulfill in creating brandless. So what I really thought about, and I think we could do this exercise because none of us are driving. Like if you close your eyes and you think about like the the pantries, the bathrooms, the 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 home you grew up in, and then you think about your home today um, and what's in your cupboards, your cabinets, what's um, what's on your tables. It's likely so many different things. Um, and it's so many different things, not only because you've decided you want different things, but because we are more informed today, because brands have a responsibility to play a role in your life beyond just the functionality of the product itself. And you think about those things as you are purchasing, you're much more conscious. So we were seeing this like rejection, rejection of government, institutions, um, media, brands, all these things like I had this rejection visual. Um, and then, you know, occupy this, occupy that, all of it. And then I thought, wow, like they're all occupying and they're rejecting, but where's everybody going? Um, and I had this visual of like all these people running away, but I didn't know what they were running towards. And so there, there was this moment where I felt like brands themselves were losing trust. Brands are trust marks, really. I mean, a government is a brand in a way, like a flag. Um, and a physical product is a brand. And the skim is a brand. Um, and so the question is, how do you regain trust? And so might we reimagine what it means to be a brand, one that's based on truth and trust and transparency? The other thing I noticed, because I'm a big sort of cultural anthropologist type, and so I was watching how people were shopping. And if you go to the market, what you'll see is that people are picking up packages, turning them over, turning them sideways, turning them upside down, putting them back on the shelf, and then taking a step back. And then they're surveying all the various things in that paradox of choice. Sound familiar? Yes. And they're like frozen at the shelf because it's just like a, a rainbow of color. But they're not sure, like, where is it manufactured? Is this sustainable? Is it gluten-free? Um, is this organic? Uh, do I want to pay more? Do I not want to pay more? The prices aren't even on the products anymore. They're on the tape on the shelf. Um, can I talk to someone about this? Can I not? Is there someone to help me? No. And so, and then I saw this over and over again. And, you know, and I said, wait a second. People shouldn't have to pay to have quality because they should be able to find things that are better for them, things that are better for the world at much more accessible prices to make better everything for everyone. And then I said, nobody's doing, because I've built so many digital products, there's no UI and UX. So like, it would be weird if every time I texted you guys, it was on a different platform. Like everything rolls up into iMessage or into Snapchat or into one or two things. Maybe it's a DM, but it's not more than that. And even that's confusing. So um, I said, what if we were to build like a UI and UX across all physical goods? And what if we were to put the attributes that everyone's looking for all over the place, like all in the same place, no matter where it is? And what if we were to create a concept where to be brandless, it becomes an attribute, this idea that it's truthful, it's transparent, its intention is to scale kindness and community, and it's um, it's exactly what you think it is, and it's not. It's all very um, upfront and in direct conversation with you. How did you um, decide to do this with your co-founder? Um, well, Ido and I, uh, we both lived in the same neighborhood. I was friends not only with him but with his wife, um, and we had been introduced um, similar to how I met. YouTube by like a million people were like, you've got to meet them, you've got to meet him. And so one day we just met and we said, wow, how did it take so long? We should totally do something together. And he was doing a few other things. He's a serial CPG entrepreneur. And I was doing a few other things. And we said, well, let's just start. And so we just started to meet. And I, my first question to him was, 
what problems are you trying to solve? Like, what's bothering you? And he said, gosh, if people really knew what things cost versus what they paid for them, they'd be like rioting in the streets, sort of in that Occupy way. And he said, what's bothering you? And I said, the fact that there's no community, that the U, there's no UI, UX, it's hard to navigate all these things. Um, but if direct consumer is the intention, that's not a channel, that's a relationship. So why don't we build a relationship with people and help them find and create extraordinary things to help them and their families and better life for all. You started Brandless while you were in the uh, venture world. You were at Sherpa Capital, um, where you invested in lots of companies, including the Skim. Thank you for that. Uh, would you have invested in Brandless? Absolutely. What would have made you get to a yes? Um, well, um, if I could separate myself at the very early stage of a company, uh, the first thing you look at is the people. Um, and uh, I think that Ido and I have backgrounds that give us a lot of sort of muscle memory of the different things that we've done well and the, and, and the multitude of things that we've learned along our littered path of failure. And, uh, and so that's a lot of learning. That's first and foremost. Um, second of all, there was a really big, what we call a TAM, total addressable market. Third, um, the market conditions were such that we were seeing a massive shift in consumer behavior and consumer choice, and that it was not only millennials who didn't want to buy the products they grew up with, it was just a massive consumer shift and a mindset. And people were becoming much, much more informed around um, not just the food that they eat, but also the things that they put on their body and in their homes. So it was like this inflection point in this moment in time where we said, wow, everything is changing. This is just really, really big opportunity. Um, and we were able to recruit a great team um, and the team had extraordinary expertise. Having gone from being an operator to then working um, a, as a venture capitalist in obviously a very male-dominated um, industry, which has been reported about a lot and especially talked about here. How has that changed you as an operator when you went back to an operating role? Do you have a different perspective now? I think, as I said earlier, um, because of how I grew up, um, I was used to seeing like female operators. So I just kind of you know, I err on the side of inclusion, but I think diversity and inclusion is not just about like gender or skin or ethnicity or choices, personal choices you make. I think diversity and inclusion is about finding a way to bring people with different voices and engagement styles to the table. And so I think it's really important to teach people how to make that advance, how to be heard in a meeting, how to be um, get their opinions known. And that's not always the loudest person in the room. It's not the person who necessarily was raised and comfortable with interrupting or engaging with a different model. And so the confidence factor, I think, is something that needs to be developed um, early and it needs to be kind of validated. Um, and the culture has to support that. So it's like a, it's a no-brainer for me to build an inclusive culture and a diverse culture. But then the question is, how do you unlock that? And that's the challenge that I think is like that next step. In 2017, one of the Sherpa co-founders was accused of sexual, sexual misconduct. How did you react? And at this point, you are doing brandless. Um, so what was that like for you having 
obviously come from an environment where you worked really closely with somebody and now being, you've always been a role model for women and um, leading now a, a very inclusive team. The community is the forefront of that and inclusion is the forefront of that. What was just your personal reaction? Um, well, I wasn't there anymore um, and I wasn't involved with the firm. And so it was just very, very sad uh, for all parties. Um, and, you know, I really wasn't engaged or involved, but just very sad. On the How to Skim Your Life book tour, we are taking a ton of pictures and we are so excited to meet all of you guys and for all of the memories. Like in 10 years, when we look back at this, we are going to have the best pictures, except for right now, they are all on our phone. So it's time for FrameBridge. Uh, all you have to do is go to FrameBridge.com, upload your photo, or you can send um, like a poster or a physical piece in the mail to them. You can preview our item online in any frame style. You can get recs from their team. Um, it honestly could not be easier. Uh, just get started today. Frame your photos or send the perfect gift um, to each other for weddings, birthdays, special events. Uh, just go to framebridge.com, use promo code SKIM, and you will get an additional 15% off your first order. Uh, again, that's framebridge.com, promo code SKIM. And I cannot wait for Danielle to see all the pictures of the two of us I'm going to frame from the tour. <laughs> So going back to Brandless, you built this company and spent almost two years as its CEO, um, and you decided to step down as the CEO in March of this year. You're now co-founder and co-chair of the board. How did you make that decision? Um, also, what does chair of the board actually mean? <laughs> so uh, so co-chair of the board, the re I'm co-founder because Ido and I founded the company together, and co-chair because Ido and I are co-chairs together. And that means that, um, you know, in, we in, like the co's too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> We're into so it. I love that. So um, yeah, so that means that you know, in theory, you know, you're you you oversee the board. Um, and so we're a very young company, so I would say that that doesn't fully manifest at this stage, as the way it might in a more like mature company. But that is the that is what that means, um, and we do play that role. Um, and. I stepped down was less about stepping down and more about sort of scaling. And so I wanted to be able to scale myself. And so as a as a co-founder and as the founding CEO, you know, I was wearing like every single hat, you know, chief cook, bottle washer, hiring, scaling, um, ops, logistics, um, and building a team to do all of those things, every aspect of the business um, from nothing to something um, to something great. And part of your role, and you guys know this so well, is you are the chief evangelist as well. And so not only are you doing your day jobs, but you're also um, out there telling the story, engaging with the communities, engaging with all the people who, who love the skim, um, making sure that the birthdays are in the email and, and everything in between, meeting with advertisers, marketers, future investors, other investors, I mean, everything. And so that just was really hard to scale um, and actually get deep into the logistics and the ops of a very complicated supply chain and a very complicated global network. And, and we have an office in Minneapolis and an office in San Francisco, being in both places, like all of those things. I just couldn't do all of that well. How do you give up that control? And I know you've obviously um, 
start and transition different businesses. And for us, I look at this and I'm like, this is something that you and Ito started together. You grew it to this amazing point. What is that like interview question like where you at the end of a process are like, okay, this person is going to lead the company? Um, I think that, you know, the interview process is really about first getting to know the person. Like, do I like this person? Um, do I want to go, you know, in the bunker with this person? Like, how is this person going to be in, um, it's really easy to have uh, a collaboration and fun in good times. What's this person going to be like in challenges? What's this person going to be like? How much um, frontline has this person seen? What are all their reference points? Um, and then how do they think about those reference points? You know, you have to look at the whole person. How do you, you know, I think one of the things we talk a lot about is like learning how to fire yourself on, a, on whatever your task is or whatever your job is so that you can elevate in your position. How do you, um, you know, for those who are either building teams or are for the first time managing someone more junior than them, how do you fire, quote unquote, fire yourself without micromanaging and feeling that need that like the way to manage is to micromanage? Yeah. So that's a great question and one that I really um, I'm working on. And I think the first thing is that I want to make it really clear to my former direct reports that um, I'm their coach and I'm their cheerleader and I'm there to help them solve problems, but they don't report to me. And so I'm not a shortcut on things. And so I really need to, anytime that they come to me for something, I make sure to reroute them. Um, and I make it really, really clear that I don't own that decision. And I might not agree with that decision, but I'm certainly not going to say that to the person, uh, to the to the leader. I'm going to say it more offline if it's important. Right. Um, but they're not going to do things the way I do things. They're not going to operate the way I operate. And they're going to bring a different set of skills and experience to the table. And I welcome that. Having said that, I'm still like super involved in the culture, super involved in 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 scaling all the things that I just shared. And so you have to figure mm -hmm. out like what lane am I going to yeah. run in? And you can't be in every single lane and you have to make space. And so I think initially I tried to make a lot of space like, oh, that like, for example, there's like an offsite, I think, today, and I'm not at it intentionally. Yeah. Because if I'm in the room out of respect and deference, like, I can't just say, oh, I'm just here just right, to listen, right, whatever. Right. So you really can't be in the room. Right. Um, we are going to go to our very last segment, which is our favorite. It's a lightning round. We are going to ask you questions. <laughs> you got it. Okay. You're going to do it. it as fast as you can. All right. You ready? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Uh, a mom. College major. International relations and language. First job. First job. Let's see. Well, I was a model at Bloomingdale's, but I think before that I worked at the tennis uh, shack filling the soda machine in Mamaronic. <laughs> worst job. Uh, that could also be the worst <laughs> job. Worst professional mistake you've made. Mm, worst professional mistake I've made. Gosh, the worst one. There's so many. Um, <laughs> or a notable one. A notable one. Um, I actually, I'd say that I I turned a couple of like really great jobs down because they were big reloads and, um, and I just wasn't up for it. And that, I think, was a mistake. First phone call when you get good news. Mm. It's probably a joint text, Jacob and Charlie. Your sons. Mm -hmm. First phone call when you get bad news. Live with it for a bit. When's the last time you negotiated for yourself? Last week. 
What's your go-to interview question when you're hiring someone? Tell me about your family. I do that one a lot too. What drives you? Um, impact. How do people know when you're stressed? Hmm. How do people know when I'm stressed? I usually tell them. It's a good way to get <laughs> yeah. them out there. <laughs> that seems healthy. Um, finally, what's your shameless plug? Shameless plug is please um, go to brandless.com. Um, follow us at Brandless Life on Insta or Facebook and uh, spread the word to all your friends. We have a referral code. And so we would love for you to join because when your friends join, um, you win and they win. Awesome. Tina, thank you so much for everything. Love thank talking you. to you. Congratulations. You. And everyone check out Brandless. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 